So, uh, I had Robin read uh, from 1 Corinthians 14 for the scripture reading, which probably, if you, if you uh, know what I'm going to be talking about today, seems like a strange place to start, uh, talking about singing. We'll get to 1 Corinthians 14, um, but uh, we're going to spend a lot of our time in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. We'll start in Colossians 3. But I would also encourage you to keep your songbooks handy because we're going to be looking at some of the songs that we sang today. Um, so I'm really excited to be here, to be with you guys and see what you do. This is, this is really great. Um, and uh, I guess you guys are used to multitasking, filling multiple roles in a worship service. Um, but I'm not, and definitely not used to leading singing and preaching. Uh, feels like... It should be like a little tiny country congregation or something for me to be doing that. Um, but I, I, I kind of wanted to do that specifically because since we are talking about singing and song leading, and a little bit later we'll be talking about some of the um, the fundamentals of of uh, the skill set for song leading. I didn't want somebody to feel pressured, you know, to like do a really good job or something because he's going to come and tell me everything I'm doing wrong. So hopefully that. Uh, I wanted to, you know, try to make it a little bit easier on, on all of us. Then I wouldn't have to feel guilty either. Um, so, uh, oh, I also w- was supposed to say that Meredith is sorry that she couldn't be here. Um, she's uh, in Alabama with her family this weekend, um, which is where I'm going. Uh, when back out there when we finish. And, but she uh, says hello and that she would have liked to have been here. Um, one final note before we actually get into it. Uh, anytime I talk about songs and, you know, selecting songs and, and the purpose of singing and worship and how it's best accomplished, um, people always want to ask about particular songs. They've got a song they like or that they have a question about or something like that, um, which is fine. I, I love talking about uh, songs and about singing. I'm glad to, you know... Uh, talk about whatever you want to ask. I will just tell you, though, if you ask me what I think of a song, I'm going to tell you what I think about it. There are very few songs that I actually really dislike, um, but I'll just be warned, I'm gonna, I, if you ask me, I may, I may end up telling you something you don't want to hear. Um, but uh, the, um, in the lesson today, I'm not going to criticize any songs. I, I try to make a practice of not speaking ill of somebody else's attempts to, you know, help others glorify God, um, unless I just feel like it's, you know, unscriptural or something like that. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to say anything critical in the lesson, but if if you ask me about a song, all bets are off. Um, so uh, let's uh, let's begin by, by reading... Um, the, our two kind of key passages. We're going to organize the lesson about around what these passages uh, outline for us. And uh, start in uh, Colossians chapter 3, read verse 16. Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, and then uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, as a parallel passage, Paul uh, 
takes a little bit longer to, to say the same things and provides us a few more details. Uh, chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is riot, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So, I want to talk today mostly about the purpose of singing what it is that we're trying to accomplish in our singing, and then, as an application of that, how we would do it. Um, I'm not going to say anything, I don't think, that's radically earth-shaking, but I think it's helpful for us to understand uh, the, the scriptural reasons for doing things as we do them, and, uh, and the, what, for, for doing the things we do, and for doing them the way that we do them. Uh, so... The first purpose of singing, if, well, if you ask somebody on the street what, what the purpose of singing is, they would probably say something about praising God, right? Seems like a fairly straightforward answer. I'm, I'm going to broaden that out slightly and say that, that one purpose of singing, and I think there are others, as we'll see, one purpose of singing is to glorify God, which I think includes praising God as a part of it, but we'll see that praising God is something actually more specific than the, this kind of broad-level purpose of um, singing. Um, and uh, I think it's a lot richer than simply praising God. Um, so, for instance, we sang, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah, which is not a song of praise in the sense that, like, praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer is, but it is certainly contains praises of God. And I would say that that song, above all else, glorifies God for His work in the Exodus and in our lives in, in similar ways. Um, but to, to explore what glorifying God is, we need, I think, to look at the other purposes of singing, which will help us then at the end of the, of the lesson to kind of come back and have a fuller understanding of what it means to glorify God in song and how we do that. So uh, the second purpose of singing, then, that I want to talk about, the first purpose is kind of a vertical purpose of, of glorifying God. Um, and the second purpose of God is along this horizontal axis, which is something that, that we do to one another uh, and for one another in our worship. Um, and, and that purpose is to teach each other the word. If you're still in uh, Colossians, uh, I like the way Paul says that in verse 16, uh, because he actually says teaching and admonishing one another. We're going to explore what those mean. Uh, but the first command, really, in this verse is not the teaching and admonishing part. It's, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that is something that we... Uh, the, well, the richly part, I think, impl implies the results of it. That it doesn't... It's not just there. It's, it's uh, overflowing. It's abundant. It's bearing fruit, to use other kind of scriptural imagery. Um, but first, in order for it to dwell in, our, to dwell in us richly, it also... We have to get it in there first. We have to let the Word of Christ dwell in us. And what that really means is just get it into your head. Just put the Word of God in your head, and then it, once it's there and you're living by it, it will start to bear fruit. This is not, some, this is not a goal that is unique to singing. We do this, we accomplish this goal of, of getting the Word of God into our heads in lots of ways. Right? That is a, a primary purpose of preaching, of Bible studies, of evangelism, of 
uh, just conversation between Christians when you say, hey, yeah, but you remember that verse, you know. Um, but the specific application that Paul makes in this verse is that we get the word of Christ in our heads by singing. That's, that is a goal that it is supposed to accomplish. And Ephesians 5 uh, verse 18 echoes this when Paul's there says un, that you should not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's the same idea. It's getting the will, the word of God, of God into your head. Um, but the second command in the verse is this idea of teaching and admonishing one another. We're back in Colossians 3, I apologize. Um, so this is a, con- my conclusion here is that singing is designed to and intended to teach us God's word as part of its function. Remember, we're still in the background, we've got this idea of glorifying God. But, we're, but as we're exploring that, the second idea, second um, purpose, is that we are teaching ourselves and each other the Word of God in our songs. So, the first application then that I want to draw is um, how we can make it easier for ourselves to learn God's Word when we sing. So I have kind of two sets of applications. One set of application is for the leaders, um, and we'll talk in a little more detail uh, afterwards about what some of these things mean. But, but I think it's important for all of us to know what it is that is expected of everyone so that we can encourage one another to do those things. So if the people who don't lead singing know what song leaders kind of should be aiming to do as far as teaching, they can help them and say, yeah, that song was really helpful. It taught me a lot of things. Or that, that song, I feel like maybe it was a little bit weak in scriptural content. So I'm, I'm telling everybody these things so that we can hold one another accountable uh, for the tasks that God has given us. But I think leaders need to pick songs that have truth in them. And I would go back and clarify and say that leaders need to pick songs that have lots of scriptural truth in them. Not just things that are true, accepted, you know. I mean, if you sang a song about gravity, how, you know, I mean, yes, that is true that gravity works, but... Again, that doesn't accomplish our first purpose of glorifying God. So, um, it's uh, it needs to have uh, lots of scriptural truth in them. I would, and I my rule of thumb is the more scriptural references you can find in a song, the better it is. You know, it's kind of like the really good sermons are the ones that have a lot of scripture in them, or that make a, a passage of scripture really clear to you. They may only be in one place, but there's a lot of truth in them because they explain it so clearly and that makes it make it so applicable to our lives. I think the same thing has to be true for the songs that we sing. Um, this is, I think, the primary primary criteria for uh, for song selection, is that it ha- has uh, lots of, of truth in it. Um, we, uh, I've already mentioned it once, we, we sang um, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. If you want to look at it for just a second, it's number 117. And uh, I like this song because it's full of scriptural references, but sometimes the scriptural references are hard to find. Um, and uh, But in this one, they're not. Because all of the scriptural references in this song essentially come from the Exodus. Um, and, uh, and you can sort of, you can almost tell the story of the Exodus just with the lyrics of this song. Um, I think there is a place. There is a place for simple, repetitive lyrics. Songs like "God is so good," and those are those are good songs for us to know and to sing and to remind ourselves of 
of those very, you know, kind of core fundamental principles that God is good and that He saves us. And, and, but I think, as, as Paul says, we need to move beyond the milk of, or the Hebrew writer, excuse me, to, from the milk of the word to the meat. And I think as we grow and mature in our scriptural knowledge, we ought to be thinking about songs that have more scripture in them so that we can better accomplish the command that God has given us of letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And, and uh, I think the, the more, uh, I don't want to say complex, but the more layered and, and uh, scriptural the lyrics are, the better I think we can accomplish that. They will, um, our, our staple kind of hymns need to be hymns that help us remember God's word more clearly, but also more fully. So they have, they have more content in them. Now, that's for leaders. For, for everybody else, for singers, it's sort of the same thing. I think we need, we have a responsibility as, as uh, worshipers to know what we're doing when we're worshiping, to know what we're saying, know what we're singing. So I would encourage you, I don't think anybody will mind, Take a songbook home with you. Write down the numbers that, that you know we've sung today. I'll give you my list if you want. Um, and take them home and study them. And find the scriptures that they're referencing and that they're based on and that they're explaining. So that the next time you sing one of these songs, you, you already have some of that knowledge in you. And that knowledge can be refreshed and can grow from there. Too often I think we just sort of, not maybe not intentionally, but we just sort of make singing the thing we do between, you know, the other acts of worship. And it, it, it's supposed to be so much richer and fuller than that. And the better we understand the songs that we're singing, the more we'll get out of the singing that we do. Um, so take them home and, and study them. Uh, if, if you look through this, this song, you can see, uh, you know, all the, a, a lot of Exodus stories. Pilgrim through this barren land... You see the Israelites going into the wilderness and having no food. There's no water. They, they were dependent on God. Um, it talks about the bread of heaven, the manna that came down in the wilderness. Open now the crystal fountain, Moses bringing water out of the rock. Um, and uh, he talks about the pillar that leads us uh, in our, our journey. Talking about crossing Jordan and, uh, and landing on Canaan's side. And this one, I didn't notice for a long time. But Zachary Newman pointed it out to me. Songs of praises I will ever give to thee is probably a reference to the song of Miriam after the Israelites had crossed the Red Sea. Which is, I mean, in the context, in the narrative of kind of the journey is a little bit out of place here, but the song of Miriam was recorded and I can't imagine that that was the only time they ever sang it. Being as it is a praise of God for his deliverance of his people and uh, for his goodness and power. That's exactly the kind of thing that they would have sung when they had finally gotten into Canaan, into the land that God had promised them. Um, and, uh, and so this illustration, I think, is... Uh, I, I want to try to convey two ideas here. One is that the scriptural content of a song is important for us to find, and, and it enriches our meaning of the song. But also, using the example of Zach, it's not all that hard to find either, really. And, and I think the best songs are the ones that make it clear that they are using and explaining God's Word. Um, and uh, and I, I think we would do ourselves a great favor if we would take the songbook home and, and study the words. 
There are Bible search tools that are online. You may have some software that will help you. You can you know, type in phrases from the songs uh, and, and find the scriptures that, it's, uh, that they're based on. Um, and uh, there are also uh, online, and there are some books too, there are hymn study resources that will help you with some of that. Because sometimes they're using a different translation than you're using when they wrote the song, and so it's a little bit hard to know what they were saying. Um, but there are, there are websites and books that discuss the scriptural content of hymns um, that you can use to, uh, again, increase your understanding that, to help the Word of Christ dwell in you more richly. In their better, have better, bear better fruit. Um, and you can also ask the song leader what scriptures a song is based on, which puts a responsibility on the song leaders to know that, but you could, uh, you could ask, and maybe it would push them to, to know that a little bit better in the future. Um, but of course, as a foundation for this, the better we know the Bible, the better we're going to understand the lyrics of hymns that are based on the Bible, right? So this ties in, as almost every lesson does at some point, to the application you need to study your Bible more. Um, but it will help you understand the lyrics of songs um, and, uh, and find the, the, uh, the meaning that the author intended. But in the end, understanding hymns is an ongoing process, like Bible study. So we have to be patient about it. Uh, there are songs that are written with complex and confusing words. They use words that we don't really use much anymore. Um, we're going to talk about one of those in a minute. Uh, and so it's a little bit difficult. To, to know exactly what they're saying. So it takes some practice, just like Bible study does. Um, but it's, uh, if, if, we can, if we can work to understand the lyrics that we're singing, I think we will discover that we learn God's Word better when we sing. It's really the same reason, the reason that we are commanded to teach one another in singing, is the same reason that important information is taught to children in songs. That's why there's a song for the alphabet, there are songs for like multiplication tables and like, you know, the, um, the, uh, oh, I just blanked on it. The, uh, periodic table. And there are songs for the presidents and the states and countries in the, in the world and all. I mean, you can, you can learn a lot. That's actually how I learned all the nations of the world is by, is by learning a song. So, Music, has, and we're going to talk about this more in a minute too, but music has this ability to make things more memorable to us. And so God has given us a great blessing in allowing us and in, in commanding us to sing the truth of his word because it helps us remember it better. Um, and I may not be able to quote the entire story of the Exodus, but I can remember the words of God, me with our great Jehovah. It helps me remember that story and more importantly, remember the characteristics of God that the story of the Exodus uh, captures for us. Um, so, uh, that, and that's, so the, the, from that application then of learning God's Word when we sing, I want to make a sort of a sub-application. This is like application 1A um, about the words that we sing themselves. Um, so, the, in, in, both, in, in both Ephesians and Colossians, uh, Paul says, um, talks about teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Lists three different categories here, and it's not real clear exactly what the separation is all the time, but um, he does seem to be talking about three different things. The best I can tell, 
Well, Psalms are probably the easiest one, because he actually is talking about the Psalms, as in the book of Psalms. Um, and we, uh, but it could also be other inspired Old Testament poetry. I'm thinking of, for example, uh, the song of Deborah in Judges 5. They win the battle, and Deborah sings this song. She writes this song um, that uh, praises God for that victory. It could include those kinds of things as well. Uh, I'm not really sure. Um, today we sang Psalm 19. The words of, of that song are taken straight from Psalm 19. There are a lot of other songs uh, in the book that are taken from Psalms um, that are a little less uh, quoted. They're, there's a little more poetic license, so that maybe takes a little bit of figuring out, but um, with some pretty basic uh, tools, you can you can figure out what song it's based on. Um, and uh, And... Those are valuable for us to, to sing and to remember. Despite, in, in addition to being commanded, they're just good for us to sing because it's, the, it's somebody else's experiences in trying to serve and obey God recorded for us so that we can you know, experience their uh, emotions and, and their search for God uh, along with them. Um, then he talks about hymns, which are songs of praise to God. So these are songs that declare God's greatness and power and mercy. There's an example of this, in, uh, or of somebody doing this, actually, in Acts chapter 16. You probably remember that in Acts 16, Paul and Silas uh, have been thrown into prison in, uh, in Philippi, and they... Uh, verse 25, uh, it says that at about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and prisoners were listening to them. Um, today in our worship, we sang uh, "Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah," which is is exactly that. It's it is a song that contains a lot of praise to God um, in the in the context of uh, a prayer. And then finally, uh, he talks about spiritual songs, so songs containing uh, spiritual truth and encouragement. So. It, they're not quoted directly from Scripture, um, and they may not even be directly addressed to God, but they are, uh, they are songs that we sing to one another to encourage uh, and teach one another. There are actually, I think, one theory anyway, some examples of, uh, two examples of hymns, early hymns, or spiritual songs, I mean, um, recorded for us in uh, Scripture. If you look at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, Paul says, um, I'm going to start in, in verse 14 for a little bit of context. These things I write to you, hoping to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, that you, uh, that you may know... Uh, oh, yeah. I'm writing to you that you may know how men ought to behave themselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And the next, the end of the verse here, to the end of the chapter, is... Some people think Paul quoting a spiritual song that Christians sang in the first century. So it is, He who was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, received up in glory. So it's probably not the whole spiritual song, but it is part of it at least. Um, and uh, the, the poetic structure of the words and the... Um, the, the 
content, I think, kind of lends itself to that. But notice what the content is. This is a summary of the gospel in, in verse form, right? Um, so we, it, it contains uh, the truth about Jesus coming into the world and what he accomplished. Um, and, uh, and even some application of kind of our responsibility about being preached among the nations and believed on in the world. Um, so that's one example. Another example is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 13. In, in most Bibles, uh, 1 Timothy 3 is formatted as poetry, but um, 2 Timothy uh, 2 is not always formatted that way, but I think it is poetry. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Um, Faithful is the saying, and then this is where the quote starts, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we shall deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he abides faithful, for he cannot deny himself. There's some thought that this is also a quotation from a spiritual song that the early church would have seen, would have sung. In this case, a song about our relationship with Christ and how we maintain that relationship and the work that we have to do. Um, so this is a song of, uh, of encouragement, uh, maybe, that, that Paul records for us. Uh, today we sang Christ for the World We Sing, uh, which is you know, a, a, a song that should remind us of our responsibility to preach and also encourage us in that duty uh, to be um, diligent and, and uh, I can't think of the word now, um, helpful in that, in that work. So those are, the, those are the words that we sing. That's, that's part of this application. That's where the words need to come from and then the categories that they kind of fall into. Um, so, uh, but what, what I noticed there is that there are very few, there's really nothing there about me and like what I'm going to get out of it and how I feel about it and, you know, and I'm not saying that we don't need to sing songs that talk about ourselves because we do, and in fact, we're going to sing one in just a minute. But we need to be very careful that the songs are about teaching the Word of God to one another, and not teaching one another how we feel, and that they are um, they are glorifying God instead of glorifying me, as Richard talked about a few minutes ago, for the things that God has done for me, because that doesn't work either. Um, so there's a little bit of you know a little bit of thought that has to go into this. But this, the second part of this uh, application of the, about the words that we sing is, I think we need to be able to hear all of the words. And this is why I asked Robin to read 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 is a discussion of the use of miraculous spiritual gifts in worship. I acknowledge that. It's not about singing. And I know that. But I'm going to go there anyway. Um, because Paul there gives us um, some principles about, not just about miraculous spiritual gifts, but about worship in general. Um, And in verses 7 to 14, he makes that especially clear. He talks about these things that don't really speak words like pipes and trumpets and harps. He says, if they're not played clearly in a way that makes sense, they're just noise, right? He says, if you blow a trumpet, which was how the signal was given to go into battle or to retreat or whatever, so if you give a signal and it's not a real signal, it's just noise on the trumpet, nobody's going to do anything. 
There has to be meaning communicated in the things that we do in our worship. Um, and so he applies it to speaking in tongues. He says, if nobody understands the tongue you're speaking in, you're not edifying them. And he says, here's what you need to do. Um, verse 12, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek that you may abound to the edifying of the church. Um, and we're going to talk about what that means in just a minute, the edifying part of it. But I think the point here is that we really need to understand all of the words so that we can learn everything we can from the songs that we sing. He says, therefore, verse 13, let him that speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Because, verse 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. I think the ESV there says, um, is, uh, understanding is, no, my mind is, is unfruitful. Yeah, that's what it is. The word, it really, it's the same idea, but it means your understanding of it. Paul's saying, if I, if I speak in a tongue, I know what I'm saying, but nobody else does. So, I need to have somebody who can interpret it for me, so that we can all understand the like, so we can all be edified. Um, and so then, and this is a verse that, that applies it to singing. In verse 15, he says, What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit. And I will sing with the understanding also. Now singing, as a skill, does not fall into the miraculous category. Despite the fact that some people are just seem to be naturally good at it, and others seem to be naturally not good at it. It's not a miraculous spiritual gift, and we all understand that. Um, but verse 15 applies it to singing. I've read a lot of commentaries on verse 15, and nobody seems to agree or to be able to come to a consensus on what this verse actually means. The two leading theories are that either Paul is saying these things that I've just taught you about using miraculous spiritual gifts in worship, they also apply to singing and praying. Or he's saying, he's using this as an example of something they already know. So you know that this is true when we sing and when we pray, that we all need to understand what's going on. It's also true for spiritual gifts. But either way, the point is all the principles in 1 Corinthians 14 apply to singing and praying. Right, And I think we kind of understand that at a practical level. If, if all of the men started praying out loud at once, I mean, each one of us might kind of feel edified by what we've said, but nobody else is going to hear anything that is going to be of any use to them, practically speaking. I think the same thing is true of the songs that we sing. Um, <clears throat> the point of 1 Corinthians 14, and really a, it's a theme of the whole book, is unity and mutual edification. And that's why Paul says, my understanding is unfruitful. I, it, it helps me, I understand it, but it's not bearing fruit out here for anybody else. And I need to make sure that it does. That's, what, that's part of what edification is. Um, so, I think we should be careful of songs where the words are kind of all on top of one another. You know, we're all singing different words, different sets of words. Um, and, and even of songs that have split choruses, um, this is, this is not, I'm not, I'm not trying to bind this on anybody. I'm just throwing it out there as a warning. We need to be careful to make sure that everybody can understand what we're saying. Now, if it's one of those split choruses where the words kind of repeat, you know, the, the, like the men sing <clears throat> the words and then, the, you know, there is a God, there is a God, he is alive, he is, well, that's fine. We all understand because we're repeating each other. And even when they overlap a little bit, we all said the same thing. So, you know, that's one thing. That's Okay. 
But we need to be careful of songs where it's it be, as it becomes difficult to understand what everybody's saying because we are we are missing an opportunity to teach the word of God. Now, I think there are maybe <clears throat> maybe some ways around that, like studying it at home and knowing what it means and all that kind of thing. But I still think we have an obligation, based on 1 Corinthians 14, in our worship, to make everything that we do be for the best possible edification and teaching of everyone in the assembly. <clears throat> um, you're welcome to argue with me about that afterwards. Um, but I, I believe, this is my conviction, that this passage by application makes songs that have different parts singing different words all at the same time unscriptural. <clears throat> because they don't accomplish a primary purpose of singing, which is to teach the Word of God in a way that can be clearly understood. Any more than if four of us started preaching it all at once, the, the Word of God would not be helped. It would be hindered by that practice. Um, <clears throat> So, you're welcome to argue with me about that if you want to, but I think that's what 1 Corinthians 14, by application, is, uh, <clears throat> is telling us about the songs that we sing, about the words that we sing in our songs. So, but there's another purpose of singing that uh, will help us understand, uh, add more to our picture of what it means to glorify God. <clears throat> and that is <clears throat> this purpose of singing uh, to exhort or encourage one another. Um, and, uh, and Colossians 3.16 uh, uses that word, um, and, and the idea there, it's, it says uh, t- teaching and admonishing or encouraging, some translations say. Um, but the, the idea of, of an exhortation or encouragement or an admonition is uh, actually to um, caution or to reprove gently. Uh, in other words, the, the uh, encouragement and the edification that we're supposed to uh, have is, or to, supposed to participate in, is meant to motivate us to do what we've just learned from singing the song that we're supposed to do. So it's not just knowledge, it's not just facts. There's also some, some motivation there to do the things that we've just learned about. Um, and so when we sing, Guide me, O Thou Great Jehovah, we should be encouraged to trust God more based on the hist- His history of taking care of His people that we've just learned about. When we sing, Christ for the world we sing, we should, you know, uh, we should be encouraged. Not only we, we, should, we should be reminded of the fact that we have an obligation to evangelism, but we should be encouraged to do that by the words that we sing as well. Um, 1 Corinthians 14 uses the word edify, as uh, as the purpose there, and uh, and other places use this word as well. And the word edify, I think, encapsulates both the informative teaching part of it and the um, the motivational exhorting. I think it's both things kind of wrapped up into one. The word edify actually is the same word uh, that that is a word that is used to describe building something. Uh, an edifice is another word for a, a building or a structure. The idea of edifying is. <clears throat> not just that, you know, I'm encouraging you, I'm not just holding the building up, right? I'm actually removing things that are weak in the building and replacing them with something that's stronger. I'm building up the, the structure that, that is each of us uh, in our walk with God. So, 
I, I have to give you new information, that's the building blocks, and then I have to make sure those building blocks all connect to one another and support the structure, you know, with mortars and beams and things like that. Um, and that's the encouragement part. And our singing is supposed to uh, accomplish those things as well. Um, and that's really, that's the second command in, in uh, Colossians 3.16, is to admonish one another. Um, and uh, we, we do this by our singing. And I, I mean, there are, in particular, songs that are nothing but songs of encouragement. Um, songs like, Come We That Love the Lord and Let Our Joys Be Known. Join in a song with sweet accord and thus surround the throne. We're marching to Zion. That is a song of pure encouragement, you know. Um, and, uh, and, and I think, uh, I think there's, I've wrestled with this. I don't, still don't quite know where I come down on it, but Paul says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so, I've heard people complain that, well, if you're just sitting in a traditional auditorium with pews and you're all facing one direction, how can you sing to one another, Right? And they would say that something like this, where we're sitting in a circle and we can look at one another while we're singing, makes that a lot better. You know, because I can look at you and be like, are you believing this? Are you doing it? You know? And I, I mean, I agree that sitting in a circle and singing, in some ways, has some advantages. There's, there's definitely some truth to that. But, I mean, are we trying to say that God's commandments are only, we can only accomplish them if we sit in a certain way? I don't think that that really makes sense. Um, really, the example in 1 Corinthians 14 that Paul puts alongside singing as a, uh, either an application or an example of these principles is praying. Well, when we're praying, we all, mostly, have our eyes closed. And yet praying is meant to accomplish the same thing, of teaching and admonishing, encouraging, edifying one another, Right? Well, I mean, are, are we, and I'm not saying that this is wrong, but are we suggesting that we should all look at one another when we pray? Because that's the only way to be edified? I don't think so. I think the point is that the act of prayer, just like the act of singing, is Christians united in thought, singing praises to God, encouraging and teaching one another, and that unity should encourage us emotionally to be more devoted and more sincere and more knowledgeable um, in our, our service to God. And the fact that we are together doing it, the fact that we are all thinking the same thing, should be a great encouragement to us. This was really brought home to me um, right before my mom passed away. Um, when, uh, you know, it, in worship services, everybody was praying for her. And you know, and I know we all pray about a lot of other things, but I guess maybe it's just that was more emotionally impactful. And I suddenly realized, there's like 400 people in here, and they're all thinking about the same thing. They're all praying the same thing. And that, I mean, that is hugely encouraging. And if I can remind myself of that when we're saying anything in a prayer or in a song, I get, I get so much more out of it. Um, and uh, so, I, you know, I don't think the way that we sit has all that much to do with... Um, with the, the, whether or not we are uh, encouraged and edified by what we do. I think we should need to remind ourselves that we are all united in our thought and desire to do God's will by the words um, of the song uh, and, and, and of the prayers. But encouraging and, and exhorting one another 
does have the component uh, of engaging our emotions. That is part of what music is designed to do. Music is, is by nature, emotionally stirring. Um, you know, you get, you got your favorite song on the radio, and every time it comes on, you just feel happy. You just feel great. You know what I mean? And maybe it's because of some memories you have associated with that song. Maybe it's because you just think the melody is really cool, or you like the way the singer sings it or something. But you kind of like, yeah, this is great, you know. It's the same thing. We're supposed to, we're supposed to have that in our, uh, our worship service. Because it's easier to be determined to do something if you have some kind of emotional investment or some kind of emotional excitement about it, right? Um, you remember when you're a kid, it's a lot easier to be good around Christmas than it, than it is in, say, June. Because Santa's coming. i got to be good. You know what I mean? Um, well, it's the same thing. We have to uh, encourage and, and exhort one another, build up those emotions so that we have a more motivated uh, desire to accomplish God's work. Um, and God has provided this for us in singing. You remember what James says in James chapter 5, verse 13? says, is anyone joyful? Let him sing songs. James says it, it's, an, it's an outpouring of that emotion. And you should, uh, you should express your emotions that way. But it's not only an, expressions of emotion, an expression of an emotion that we already have. It's also a way to foster the emotions that we need. So if I need to be more concerned about people's souls so that I'll be more inclined to evangelize, Maybe I should be thinking and singing songs that are about that. You know, Christ for the world we sing. A lot of invitation songs are about how badly people need the truth of the gospel. You know, maybe those should be the songs that are on my playlist. Um, so that I can, you know, I can build my emotions, uh, my desire to do this uh, important work. Music has a powerful emotional impact and we should sing songs that excite our emotions to do godly things and in godly ways. But I will caution us that um, we, we should not make that the primary consideration. We should not only sing songs that just make me feel really good. Because some of, some of the songs that we maybe need to hear the most are not all that emotionally impactful at first. Particularly if it's a new song, we don't know the melody very well. you know, And, and so we kind of struggle through it a little bit, either learning it on our own or in a group. Um, but, but if the words are good, I think we need to, we need to struggle through that and need to learn new songs, just like we need to study all the books in the Bible, um, and, uh, and, and foster the emotions that we want to have. So we, we teach ourselves with these songs and, uh, and then try to build the emotion that they are, uh, intended to convey. Um, so we need to consider the words first, and then also consider, and we'll talk more about this uh, later, consider how the music fits those words. Um, and uh, I'll just tell you, tastes vary, right? Everybody's got a different kind of song that they like. Some people like short songs, some people like long songs, some people like fast, slow, whatever. I prefer kind of classical, Baroque-sounding hymns. I just like that. They just... To me, they just sound better, and they're very, they're very emotionally impactful. Um, so songs like you know, uh, um, the other version of "Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah" that we sing at Embry Hill sometimes. Um, Guide me, O Thou Great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land, or uh, "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God." Songs like that. I I just like the way they sound. That's just a taste. 
And everybody's tastes are going to be different, and that's okay. Um, as, uh, as song leaders, I think we should work to kind of lead songs that will, you know, uh, appeal to everybody. But as singers, we should work to be appealed to by many different kinds of songs. So we need to recognize the value uh, of, of songs that are maybe not quite our style, you know, in terms of music uh, or, or emotion, but, um, but we, should, uh, we should expand our, uh, our vocabulary. So, make a couple of specific applications about um, emotions. Uh, we've already kind of said this, I want to say it again, don't make emotional excitement your goal. Don't just sing songs that really make you feel happy. There's a time to feel sad in worship, but don't just sing songs that make you feel sad. Um, and uh, the best songs, I think, uh, that will, or I should say, the songs that will have the best emotional impact are the ones that sound best when we sing them. Which sort of contradicts what I said earlier about learning new songs. There's a place for that, but I think in our worship, we need to focus on singing songs that, uh, that we know fairly well. Um, so we need to be careful of singing brand new songs in worship that nobody's ever sung before. Um, I have to deal with that a lot because just because of my inclinations and experience and training, I know a lot more songs than most people do. And I have to kind of go, oh, wait, we don't know that one. It's a good song, but it's just going to be distracting if I try to lead that in worship. Um, songs that are difficult to sing. Uh, the uh, There's... I don't think it's in this book, but the song, The Spacious Firmament on High, that is a wonderful song, but it is hard to sing, because it is fast, it has got big words in it, it's got a lot of notes, I mean, that is a hard song. I, I don't, actually, I don't think I've ever actually led that song in a worship setting, because it's just so hard, it's hard to sing. Um, so... Unfortunately, I can't lead a song that's really good because, in, in every way, every scriptural way is really good because it would just be distracting and it would not be edifying to the, uh, the congregation. Also, songs in minor keys tend to be a little bit tricky to sing. The harmonies sound weird to us because Western music mostly focuses on major keys. Uh, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. If you do, be careful. Um, uh, and... Uh, also, kind of come back to my soapbox, songs that have split choruses with men and women singing differently, even if the words don't overlap too much, if you're in a really small group, you don't have quite have enough parts to get all of the music, split choruses might not be the way you should go because you're, like, you'll get to a part of the song where the tenors have like a, a little solo. <laughs> oh, we don't have any tenors. I forgot. <laughs> um, and that's... You know, I mean, that's just, that's the dynamic. That's the way it happens sometimes. But, you know, as a song leader, you need to be kind of thinking ahead in that way. Also, I would just say, if you're musically inclined, and somebody starts a song like that, and you know there are no tenors or no altos or whatever, and you can fill in, it'd be really helpful. And that's a, that is something that all of us can do in our own small way to help the edification uh, of uh, our brethren in, in worship. Um, also, we need to consider how the songs fit with the, um, or even better than that, enhance the other elements of worship, which is why we sing a song about Christ's death or about the establishment of the Lord's Supper or something before we take the Lord's Supper. It kind of gets our minds headed in that direction. Um, and that's actually specifically why I didn't lead the chorus 
of, alas, did my Savior bleed? Because, in my opinion at least, the chorus musically sounds way happier than the song does. And I, I feel like it sort of distracts me from what I want to focus on in the Lord's Supper, which is Christ's death. There's a place to sing that song with the chorus. I'm not saying you should never sing it that way. Because part of, part of I mean, what makes Christ's death so wonderful is that his death covers my sins, which is what the chorus is about. But in trying to focus specifically on Christ's death in the Lord's Supper, to me, the song works better if we don't sing the chorus. Or I've, I've seen this, I think I've actually done it this way too, sing the chorus after the Lord's Supper. Uh, to remind us of, of the outcome of Christ's death, that it offers us salvation. So, I mean, these are very, very, maybe kind of nitpicky things, but I think anything we can do to help ourselves understand God's Word better and encourage and edify one another um, is, is something worth doing, no matter how small it is. And I'll just, one more kind of piece of advice. If you're not a song leader, you might want to think carefully about asking the song leader to lead a particular song that you like. Not because they're not happy to lead it for you, but they may have something more kind of specific in mind for the service or for you know, a particular song. They may have, as weird as it may seem, they may have some objections to the song that you love the most, you know, and they may feel uncomfortable leading it. There are songs that I don't, I don't think are wrong to sing, but I just feel uncomfortable leading them for, for various you know, uh, conscience reasons. Um, so... I'm not saying don't ask for songs. I'm just saying you know, be careful. Be be very um, very gracious when you're asking them uh, for for a particular song. Um, and uh, also, you don't want to pressure them. I, whenever somebody asks me to lead a particular song, I always feel pressure to lead it like the next time I lead singing. And inevitably, the next time I lead singing is like a special service where the songs are all given to me. To lead rather than me picking the song, so I don't have any choice, you know. And then I feel bad because I didn't lead their song, but it's not really my, you know what I mean? It's just, anyway, so if you can if you can help song leaders avoid that sort of dilemma, um, the crisis of conscience, then that would that would be helpful. Or at least say you don't have to lead this next time, but sometime could you lead this song? So a, a way to make the uh, service more uh, encouraging for everyone. Um, so. Let's get back to our, our first point, glorifying God in our singing, the vertical uh, purpose that we accomplish. Just like in our life, we glorify God by uh, praising Him for His works. Uh, in, in Romans 15, um, verses uh, 6 to 9, Paul says, uh, With one accord you may with one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, receive one another, even as Christ also received you, to the glory of God. Uh, For I say that Christ has been made a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, that he may confirm the promises given to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. For it is written, Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and sing to your name. Paul specifically here mentions singing as, as something that glorifies God. Um... And, and we, we should glorify Him by praising Him for His works. But we also glorify God by doing things that He has commanded. Um, in, uh, in John chapter 21, 
verse 19. These pages are starting to stick together. Um, uh, Jesus is telling, uh, he's, he's speaking to his apostles by the lake, and he, he tells Peter that they're going to lift you up, carry you where you don't want to go, and verse 19 says that he said this, signifying by what manner of death he, Peter, should glorify God. So Peter was going to glorify God in the way he died. Uh, in, uh, in 1 Peter 4, 6, 4.16, excuse me, um, before Peter got there, he said, uh, let him, if a man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name. I think that Peter is saying that our our suffering praises God. That would be in line with John twenty one. But also the way we the way we respond to the suffering glorifies God. The way we live our lives um, is is a glory to God. So in the context of singing, then glorifying God by doing the things He has commanded would be singing as He has asked us to. That is without instruments and the kind of mechanical things like that. Um, the mechanics of singing, I mean but also singing what he asks us to. So singing scriptural truths to one another, singing encouragements to one another, um, as well as praises to him, uh, is, is part of glorifying God. And the method of this glorification, then, is encouraging one another to believe and live the words that we're singing, teaching the truth and encouraging each other to do it. Um, we have to... Uh, we, if we sing this way, we can use it singing to build our courage and our trust, which is what Paul and Silas were doing in Acts 16. They're sitting in jail, and you can go read lots of psalms that are laments about how terrible things are in my life, and people have mistreated me, and it feels like God's abandoned me. You feel like it probably felt that way when Paul and Silas were in prison? Kind of like, well, this is not good. I wonder if God's just decided that Philippi's as far as you get to go. And that's it. Maybe they felt that way, but that's not they were, what they were singing. They were singing hymns to God. They were singing praises to God in prison in the middle of the night after they'd been beaten and after they had, you know, while they had their feet in stocks. And, I mean, that's a, that's a powerful example to us. Um, they were singing... Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with singing sad songs when we're sad, but... Sometimes we should sing songs of praise when we're sad to remind ourselves how great God is and that He's able to overcome the difficulties that we face. You may not feel like singing, you know, our God, He is alive, when it feels like He's abandoned you, but it'll help. It'll help you, re- it'll help you remember and be encouraged uh, to, to persevere in spite of difficulties. Uh, but in the end, the closer you look at the words of songs, uh, the more emotion you will find is already in the words. Most songwriters put a great deal of emotion into the words of their songs, and so even if you aren't feeling the emotion that the song is about, if you study the lyrics, you can you can sort of put yourself alongside the author and experience what they are experiencing with them. Um, and as as an example of that, let's go ahead and open to the invitation song number two hundred eighty two. Love for all. Um, so on a on a very kind of surface level, this song is a retelling of 
uh, the story of the prodigal son. Um, and uh, I, the disobedient child, wayward, passionate, and wild, I who left my father's home in forbidden ways to roam. And then in verse 4, these are specific references to the story of the prodigal son. To my father can I go? At his feet myself I'll throw. At his house there yet may be place, a servant's place, for me. See, my father waiting stands. See, he reaches out his hands. God is love. I know. I see love for me. Yes, even me. Notice at the surface, it's just about, it's kind of the, you know, maybe the prodigal's thoughts as he is considering going back to his father. But of course we understand that this song is about more than that. It's also about our relationship with God and how, how far and how often we wander from him. Um, and, and so what we can do is put ourselves, in this case, alongside the speaker, who's not really the same as the author, but the speaker of the prodigal son, and compare our lives to his and, and realize the, the depth that he sank to before he realized his need for his father. And how low we were when we realized our need for our father. And how low we often still find ourselves in, in our sins and realize, and I have made a mess of this and now I'm eating pig's food, Right? And to, to understand, I've, I've got to get back to my Father. And to remind ourselves that when we go back to our Father, He is not bitter, He's not upset, He's waiting for us with open arms. He wants us to come back to Him. And that the, the first question of the song, is there really love for everybody? Even for me, when I've been so terrible and done all these wrong things? And the, the prodigal concludes, and we conclude when we sing this song, that there is there's love for everybody, even for me. If we can put ourselves alongside the, the uh, thoughts of the song that we are singing and understand the emotions that they are trying to convey and experience those in a small way ourselves, we can, uh, we, we'll, we'll go a lot farther toward getting the Word of God into our heads, encouraging each other and ourselves to live according to the, the things that we've learned. And in all of that, to glorify God uh, for His His power, His goodness, uh, and His mercy to us. So, we often sing this as an invitation song, um, but I, I think it's a it's just a good song to sing all the time because it reminds us of our need for God at every stage of our lives, uh, and especially when we uh, have have sinned, stumbled, fallen away, um, to remind ourselves of God's uh, great love for us.